Welcome to Fox Trying in a Foxhole, Season 2, Episode 31, Number 63 overall, the penultimate of Season 2. So today, as promised, we're going to have another chat with friend of the show, Alec Ford. By the way, thank the folks at www.purpleplanet.com for the wonderful theme song. And other music that we use in these podcasts. Thank the friends at Zoom and Road for the tools they provide. We thank our sponsors. I'm Ken Harlan, your faithful host, by the way. It's a very late night in Boom Talk Studios, I might add. Sort of rewatching the Raiders and the Seahawks as they have fans at the Death Star. Anyway, speaking of Vegas, today we got a special guest, the return of our friend, Alec Ford. Talk a little NCAA, talk some NBA hoops. But anyway, sit back for this episode. This is going to be my chat earlier in the week with Alec Ford. Technical difficulties. Be there in one second. Alrighty, so it's time to bring back one of our friends of the show. It's been a while. It's a pleasure to bring my man Alec Ford, my Vegas connection. For another visit to the foxhole, we got a lot to talk about. Some of the things that I've been bringing up in the podcast that he and I always talk about. Figure it's time to get another voice besides mine. So, without further ado, we bring you Alec Ford. What's up, Alec? Oh, not much. I'm not much. Just living like the life here in Vegas, you know. Yeah, I bet. What's the temperature like down there today? Oh, wow. It was like 110. We've been having it. It's It's been okay. at least 105, probably at least 25 of the last 30 days. Oh, my goodness. And we're yes. sitting here whining because we actually had a couple of good days, but I think we're going to have three or four hundred <laughs> degree days in a row here. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, how it gets when it's like that here. I mean, it's. Oh, accurate. well, and yeah. Eugene, I can't even imagine that. Yeah, but to set the record for most 90 degree, you know, 90 plus days in the summer, actually. But. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's pretty insane. So, anyhow, let's talk, let's start our conversation off in this round um, with some, some college sports. And I think the first thing I want to bring up to you, because you know, with my regular podcast, we always start off with the COVID chronicles. I think it's fair to bring up with the spread of the Delta and other things mm-hmm. to come. What it COVID and the effects it may have on sports going into this fall and into the winter. Well, it was a fun summer for sure. Yeah. Um, we got to see the last two rounds of the NBA and NHL playoffs and, Pack stadiums. No one was real. No one wearing masks, pretty much. Um, and it seemed like it was all behind us in a lot of ways. Like the vaccines were giving enough protection to, and um, but the Delta just kind of um, God threw a curveball to this thing. And I've at this point, what I'm seeing is if this thing spreads, if this thing keeps getting it gets the kids, which it seems like it's getting the kids more than the first the variant did sure. let's put it that way we just saw today um, actually um i was saw a report here that they reported like 55 uh fifth graders in, in lane county apparently have tested positive wow wow that's crazy so i mean it's gonna have an impact next year and we'll just have to see what these sports do because i just can't i mean we all want covid to be behind us 
But at the same time, it's going to impact sports as long as people are as long as the athletes are getting tested daily, we're going to have the same situations of star players possibly having to miss time or any players for that matter. Postponed like here in here in Vegas, the NBA summer league just had one of those instances yesterday where the, they had to cancel a game between the Pacers and wizards due to the wizards. Yeah. Due to the wizards having, not enough players to play because of contact tracing. And then in terms of fans in the stadium, um, it's great watching games with full fans, but we'll have to see what the situation's like then. And uh, not too optimistic that we're going to get packed stadiums, at least in Austin, at least in Austin. Um, Tuscaloosa, no doubt in my mind, we'll have a packed stadium. But Austin, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Yeah, it is really hard to say, right? Because I think one of the unique things about this short history of the of the COVID-19 virus is how we've sort of went backwards in terms of severity. But as you pointed out, that we moved forward, you know, in the sense of, letting, of opening things back up. You know, trying to put that genie back on the bottle is cre- creating all sorts of logistical nightmares. I mean, like Kate the Great, she's kind of paralyzed almost at this point. You know she wants to put, oh, yeah. push everybody back into the bottle, but oh, yeah. it's not going to be done that easily. Oh, I get. I, I mean, just to go off on a short tangent, um, one thing that, that you could say about putting the genie back in the bottle that's hard is Nevada just recently put a mask mandate back in. They and did, okay. They did. Uh, we did about a week ago. Okay. And during the, during the first round of the mask mandate, everyone was pretty much wearing it. I mean, even those who didn't want to, they did it um, stubbornly. And if you went to a casino, the, they were on you in a split of a second if you even had your mask off for a second. Heck, if you just had it down there to, like, uh, chug a beer – the second you put your beer to the side, it'd be like, put your mask back on. But I was at the casino Friday night, and I would say about 10% of people weren't wearing the mask, and they did not care at all. So, and I think that's just with the times. I think there's just awareness that people are, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, even if it's the right public health policy to do. And I think that's going to impact sports at some point because. Um, maybe they, maybe like you said, maybe they just have to go forward with sure. the uh, capacity as it is and see what happens. Well, I think from a revenue standpoint, uh, you know, not everybody's the SEC, and we'll get into that here shortly, but where they can give every school $23 million in relief, right? Very few entities yeah. generate that kind of revenue, and you have to wonder oh, sure. just from the sense of, ju- of just making money, how can we do this and keep people safe at the same time? Yes. I think the answer, and it may not be what some people want to hear, and um, I'm, I don't think this is a political thing at all, but mm-hmm. you might have to do stuff to make sure everyone that enters the stadium is safe. Um, not just from themselves, but from transmitting it to other people. And I don't really see any way to do that outside of showing cards. I mean, let's just put it that yeah, way. Vaccine passports, you know, right? I mean, you know, people are, you know, in a tiff about that. And, you know, I think we both understand that. But as you just pointed out, I mean, there's no way 
I think we can move forward sanely when you're talking, let, let's say, a stadium like Otson that, you know, when it's packed, what is it, about 60K? Mm-hmm. Right, you know. And, yep, and it's you, about what it is. Right, it's a very intimate 60K, we might add. Yes, it and, is. You've been there many times. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, without people being masked up out there, when, except for, you know, drinking and, and, and eating food, I mean, how, I, I can't see it, especially with, you know, these breakaway cases, which nobody really knows a darn thing about in terms of, you know, the severity to those who are vaccinated. And, you know, we already know what's doing to the unvaccinated. Yeah, I know there's too much we don't know. And I just don't think mask enough would be um, would be able to do it because um, the U.S.-Mexico soccer game was here in Vegas mm-hmm. just uh, last Sunday. And even though there was a mask mandate, once you got into the st- arena, or into the stadium. It was played at Allegiant mm-hmm. Stadium, 60,000 people there. No one was wearing masks once you got into the stadium because it's just impractical to police that many people. I mean, absolutely, especially I in that crowd. In that, yes, in that <laughs> crowd. It was impractical to police that many people. So, so, I mean, I think the vaccine passport is the only way you could really do it safely. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you're right about that. Okay. Let's shift gears here. Let's start getting into not that COVID isn't a buffet <laughs> buffet level topic, but here's another. You know, one on the smorgasbord. Okay. So this has been building up, and I know I've been talking about it with you, and obviously on on the regular podcast and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You what what nil and you know somewhat NFT, but really you know the national image likeness. Which states uh-huh. basically, you know, push the NCAA into a corner as far as having to accept, and obviously the big court case that went down, you know, at the beginning of July. What do you see now that you have NIL on the table? Oh, it's a free for all right now. Um, I mean, one thing that I saw today, I, I missed it until today, but okay. apparently the Florida Panthers. Um, came up with an NIL agreement with the Miami quarterback King. There's the something King. I Mm -hmm. don't remember his first name. And I'm just thinking, man, that's that itself opens up uh, like a train right there. You can have professional teams now basically helping their local colleges with NILs. Well, sure. Well, well, here's case in point here in Eugene um, with your ducks. Phil yeah. having a, a, a NIL NFT deal exclusively with uh, Thibodeau, right? Yes. I mean, somebody that that runs you know the biggest uh, sports fucking machine, right, in, in the world, basically being able to make his oh, yeah. own NIL deal with with a player. I mean, how do you recruit against that? Oh, I know, and this is what I'm afraid of. This and. I'm not going to question the legality of it because it was a 9-0 decision, and we don't get very many 9-0 decisions. That's very true. But at the same time, we've I feel like me and you, we've had this conversation for like well over a decade. We have. On some level. We knew it was coming. Yes, and we knew it was coming, but I just feel like I've never been pro, my, my personal opinion, <laughs> I've never been pro players getting paid. And it seems like... Basically, that's what's happening right now. And I just feel like it creates a more of a gap between the big guy and the little guy. The stories that you love in sports are less likely to happen, I feel, because 
my ducks, yes, my ducks with Phil Knight could just essentially pay almost any player they want to come here. And um, with, through the NIL, obviously, you can't do it directly, but we all know what it is. Oh, oh absolutely. It's funny because we were talk. I was talking with our mutual friend, uh, a proprietor of a popular bar downtown, so yes, you local folks yes. know who we're talking about. Yes, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, he and I got into a spirited conversation. I really wish you were there, and I think the next time you come into town for a game, yes. you're going to definitely have to, like, pick it up, that, okay. right? Because, you know, he's basically, you know, talking about, and, and, and like I said, we're not questioning legality. He's, like, saying, why can't, you know, they earn? Because I said, from a regular student's perspective, I'd be hopping mad that, mm-hmm. oh, because you've won the genetic, I mean, you've won the genetic lottery, which allows you, you know, and the school's making money off of you. Yeah, we get that. But the school, he says, well, what's stopping a student who's got a song on YouTube? I said, the difference is the school's creating a nice opportunity for these people to earn that other students can't. Right, you know, a student yeah. may have a talent. You know, I, I mean, if I'm making sense with that, you know, but we were arguing to the point, you know, because I said, as a regular student that's, you know, still paying back loans, right? You know, it, it kind of, you know, what you're trying to tell me that room and board, you know, access to all the girls and all that kind of stuff is enough, <laughs> you know, compensation yeah. or guys for the girl athletes or whatever each other. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? I just have a hard time oh, yeah. with that. And I have from the beginning. Yeah. Not to mention, like those two girls, you know, those two little um, attractive women from Fresno State who are yeah. more known about their TikTok nonsense than they are what they do on the, on the actual field of play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, see, in my opinion, yes, I mean, there are players that have made that university a ton of money that can never really truly get paid. Um I think of Mariota mm-hmm. as a perfect example. Um, you think of Sabrina, another right. example. Joey, Joey before that. Joey, Joey before that because of how they were marketed, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. But I also feel that when you're given a scholarship, there's a, there's a, there's, it's kind of a give and take. You may be one of those Mariotas, but you could also end up being the guy who just never pans out that sits, that basically takes up oxygen on the bench for four years. And I don't think that person is really giving the university more than that person's getting in terms of a free college, in terms of free room and board, the access to the best um, facilities at the school. Because for those of you that don't live in Eugene, um, I mean, for those of you that do live in Eugene, you know the athletes. There's a building there that's just for the athletes right on Agate that you basically have to be an athlete to get access to, that the normal student doesn't even get access to. The normal student who pays loans, who takes out loans, pays their own way through college. So I feel like, Oregon particularly, you get a lot for your free ride, basically. Oh, absolutely. And and there's no way to make up. uh, up. For every Mariota, I feel like there's 20, 25 people that don't bring back to the university what they – what um, they brought in, basically. Oh, sure. You know, right? They, and, you know, it's pretty dated at this point because he's, you know, obviously not even playing football. He's in a joke league, but, you know, they were talking about how yeah. much money Johnny Football brought to a and Yeah. It was like, yes. that was then, you know, like around, they said around 55 to 60 million, you know, and I think yes. that would, even now with, with everything, you'd probably even double, oh, yeah. if not triple that. 
Oh, for sure. So I think I what there's a I I I can't help but think the, the animosity between the parents and in terms of what kinds of you know side deals are going on there, right? I, and B, I think in the locker rooms themselves. What do you think about that in terms of the, the, as you said, you know, the separation from, you know, the haves and the have-nots? Well, okay, in the locker room, I also think this is something that could uh, create a huge problem too, okay? So in order for a quarterback to really be good, okay, you think about um, any, think about Mariota, I guess we go back to him because he's easily the most famous duck, all right? Although Justin Herbert might surpass him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, who knows? But but you're usually the most famous duck. Um, For him to put up the numbers he did, he needed a great offensive lineman. Um, He had LaMichael James and Kenyon Barner taking a lot of load off of him. Um, None of those guys are getting compensated the way that, that, in theory, someone like Marcus would have if you had the same exact um, system in place okay so if i'm like the left tackle i'm thinking to myself dude you'd be on your butt every single snap if it wasn't for me but i'm not getting any of the money you're getting you know so i think that does could potentially create an animosity within the locker room just that right there because at the end of the day football's a team sport you need every single person um coming together for the team to itself to be successful so when the superstar which will always almost always be the quarterback in college football is getting that much more then i think that could create risks in the locker room itself yeah i i'm with you on you know ten thousand percent that you know once again never question the legality but just kind of thought well gee once we get to this point even with something like NIL and NFT, which is not outright paying them, you're still going to create, you know, all of these Pandora's boxes that, you know, nobody was even considering. Or if they did, they were in denial about, you know, the actual impact. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I just historically, you think of some of the good stories that have come out of college sports. Like, think of Gonzaga basketball mm-hmm. uh, developing into the powerhouse that they have, right? They, mm-hmm. they became. I don't see how in this current environment that another Gonzaga could really pop up, you know, and I think that's kind of a shame or like a Boise or whatever other schools we could think of, because every single person that went to one of those mid-major schools, like I'm sure you could attest to, um, thinks to themselves, oh my God, they look at the Gonzagas and the Boises as hope that they could possibly be one of those one day. And I feel like this makes it less likely that that's going to happen. See, okay. And that's a perfect segue to the next bullet point that I was going to get to. I love how these conversations just sort of like (laughs) weave together. All right, then. We're going to take a little break and we'll be back with our conversation with Alec. Always a pleasure to have him on the podcast, isn't it? All right, see you on the other side.
Welcome back to Fox Trotting in a Foxhole, Season 2, Episode 31, the penultimate of Season 1. Okay, we're talking with Alec Ford, getting into all sorts of topics when it comes to college sports. My conversation with him earlier in this week continues. So, you know, the thing I've been talking about uh, in my regular podcast is I call it the Red River Fallout. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right with the, with, with, the, with the Red River Giants making the big defection, basically not just the first domino, but knocking the whole damn bucket set of them on the floor and everybody's scrambling to figure out what's next. Give me your read on, on Texas and and Oklahoma leaving, and what that means for everybody else. Well, I, I've actually had a lot of time to think of it. Okay, and then there's two effects that will happen. Okay, first you got to look at it from like the short, short term effect, like let's say the next two, three years, and then look 10, 15 years down the road. I think this is the domino that. And it's a big one, basically. That, oh. <laughs> yeah, that leads to an ultimate, let's say, maybe 30 to 45 team league, basically, within college sports. Just maybe you set it up similar to the NFL. I don't know, because I think that's ultimately how it's going to play out. Um, especially when you consider like the money that will be involved. Um, it'll get to the point where playing let's say Savannah state on a, and giving them their big payday doesn't really make sense for a lot of these teams. Once you get to that setup. So it's going to lead to two separate leagues or maybe even three separate leagues within the 127 D one football teams to begin with. Um, and maybe that's perhaps where we need to go now in terms of the short, short term, I thought this would create a domino of Rhea of, schools shifting, figuring out what they're going to do. And I don't see, because this was such a big domino, I don't know what the next reaction could really be. Because from looking at this more, I believe Texas and Oklahoma are technically tied to the Big 12 until 2025. Right. Um, they say they will monitor developments as they emerge. Right. You yes. Know, say and they they'll can... buy. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. And they're... They could buy out, and I actually think those two schools probably will buy out. Yeah, seventy-six but, million step fair for them. Yes, it's seven. Yeah, it's like seventy-six million two <laughs> years of revenue for whatever was divided between the twelve school or the ten schools in the conference. But the problem is, is that I know there's speculation about what happens to the rest of the teams next. I don't necessarily think it's in the best interest of any of the other eight teams in the conference to necessarily start disbanding quite yet because they lose out on the potential money that they probably know Texas and Oklahoma will eventually (laughs) give them to buy out. And And then on top of that, I don't know if any of the other schools, if they were to leave before the grants of rights expired in 2025 could actually afford to pay the buyout. Well, like for I mean, Texas and Oklahoma, well, it's different, yeah. but the other ones, I don't know. But, but here's the thing, too. I, mean, I think Oklahoma State, with the thing that T-Bone Pickens left, they can probably do it. But that said, um, there was a forecast that came out. What was it? They, they project 
a 50% drop in revenue by losing those two schools. Yeah. So, you know, they, right, they, they're all sitting in a corner. I, I mean, well, okay, so let's talk about this instead, actually. Okay, you know, right? all right. The Pac-12 uh, partnering with the other schools and making a super conference there. You know, there's obviously yeah, okay. talking about the ACC and the SEC becoming a super conference. Yes. What do you think about what's left on the table once Texas and Oklahoma left? Is that a good enough matchup? For some, I mean, some of the schools are all of the schools so as far as the Pac-12 is concerned. Are you asking in terms of a Pac-12, Big 12? Um, yeah, yeah, there, yeah there, there's discussions that are ongoing as far as possibly trying to do something there. Okay. I think that... Um, See, I see pros and cons to it. Okay. Um, I don't think it's necessarily in – it's in the Big 12's best interest to do the merger right now because they're probably, at the very least, four years away from dying, and this would be, like, their only realistic chance to save it. Now, from the Pac-12's purpose, I just don't see – I don't see enough value in taking all eight of those schools and merging them, all right? Because I feel like there's, I feel like Kansas State, as an example, Iowa State, I don't really see what value those schools necessarily add in the long term. Um, same with uh, even Texas Tech, as an example. Shit. Folks, now, I, I, the folks at Iowa State were saying, hey, we more worth than Corvallis or, or Pullman. What I you talking about? <laughs> Oh, I know they're saying that, and we already, my theory is we already have a Corvallis moment. We don't need to add an Ames and a Manhattan to that. We don't need to add an Ames and a Manhattan to the bunch. No, I'm with you a thousand percent there. But I think it's funny that, you know, when I think of that, yeah, Iowa State is kind of legit. But, yeah, there is something, you know, to what you're saying, right? I mean, we know Oklahoma State, that Baylor, Sure, you know, no problem. Yes. They're good in hoops, yes. good in football. You know, yes. it makes lots of sense there. But, yeah, I, I have to wonder about some of the other schools. And or do, if you're making this power move, do, is it possible for, you know, what, what's the guy, the Vegas guy who's running the Pac-12? What's his name again? That oh, was, what's his name? I can't remember. He just took over for Larry Scott. Yeah, he right. a successful gambling yeah, empire. Quite a, quite an empire. empire. For some reason, God, I don't know why I can't. Khalil Bakoff or something like that. It's Khalil yeah, Bacoff. something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting guy, you know, because I, I, I mean, automatically. I just don't think that's a good move. I mean, that's just... I mean, because I feel like there's too much potential dead weight in a flat-out merger, I feel, right. between the conferences. I mean, if, if I was him, I would – I mean, this is what I would do. I would, I would start out with – I would try to get a couple of Texas markets in there. And as crazy that. as it seems, I would start with TCU and Houston, which isn't even a Big 12 school right now. But I would try to get the Dallas and Houston market and then just kind of go from there. Yeah, um, I can see that. Or I think that, you know, where you don't, as, as you were saying, you don't necessarily go at the conference per se, but you just, you know, make a power move, grab Boise, Oklahoma State, Baylor. Yeah. Right. I mean, the school makes. I mean, I don't know, right. I mean, we the can, Pac 16 that makes sense to me is you add <clears throat> TCU, Houston, Maybe Baylor and Oklahoma State, and then you call it good from there. That would be the power move that would make sense to me. Right. Because I feel like Kansas is probably a better fit in the Big Ten if 
you go if you really um, are projecting two or three years down the road. I feel West Virginia would be a wouldn't be a fit in that model. I would feel like they're probably a better fit in the ACC eventually. So. Or if not the ACC, the other conference that used to be the Big East, actually, East. which is yeah, quietly hiding. Yeah, yeah, which is quietly hiding. Now, I, are the Americans waiting to make a power move yeah. themselves? I think they're waiting to see what's happening. We'll see what, if the Big 12 dies, then that could be what's happened, what goes next, you know? Yeah, I, I still find it, you know, I mean, I hear you what you're saying as far as the um, 16, although I still think Boise and BYU would, would, would make sense as far as making it 18, possibly. possibly. Yeah, I could see that making sense, too. Um, I know BYU in the past has had, I, I know, and this, I guess would be a similar issue with TCU. I know the PAC 12 has been reluctant to want to take, um, what they consider religious institutions. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how that would affect a BYU or a TCU. Very um, true. Very true. That's, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's, that, that, that's always something to consider. However, as we know, with the landscape rapidly changing, that all those rules that applied and all those prejudices <laughs> are, are kind of been thrown aside for the almighty dollar. And I think, oh, yeah. you know, so that's what's interesting. Okay, so on our way out of this segment before we get to our next, until we get to our next segment, um, uh -huh. let's, let's talk a little, um, what, what do you see happening on the field in 2021? Um, I mean, <laughs> I hate to sound like a, dead horse again, but I'm seeing, okay, I'm seeing an Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State playoff, three of the four teams in the playoff, and then pick between, like, Oklahoma and Georgia for the fourth spot. I mean, we've got some schools that have managed to create, this is as least, the last 10 years in college football, there's been less parity than I could ever remember um, over a sustained time period. And um, I just see that continuing going into next year. Um, I don't see who could beat Clemson in the ACC. Um, yeah, you know the SEC is always going to be loaded, but um, Bama seems to always come out of that. And I don't see anyone in Bama's division being able to beat them. Um, their only shot at losing, I think, is if they run into a bad matchup with Georgia in the SEC title game. And they could still make the playoff anyways, even if that happens. And then um, Ohio State's just going to roll through the Big Ten. I mean, if they, especially if they get through their matchup with us at the beginning of the year. That's good. Um, so, so big because I think that if <laughs> Oregon wins that game, you know, Oregon obviously, you know, we know the, that running the, the, the Pac-12 gauntlet is vastly underrated as far as the degree of difficulty. But if they can yeah. somehow get that one under their belt, then, I mean, who knows? And as far as what, what where that catapults them, right? You know, I think it's... Oh, who knows? Who knows? The thing about the Cristobal era ducks is that we seem to just have one, maybe even two games a year where it's just WTF, what happened there? Like, we play, like, we lose to a team we have no business losing to. Like, so, I mean... I mean, I could see a scenario where we beat Ohio State and then end up losing at Wazoo or something like that. Or, yeah, or choke or, our or, way or, out of the or playoffs. Corvallis comes through the score around, right? <laughs> yes, they do. They do. Yeah. I, I don't think Corvallis has beaten us at Odson in like years. I don't want to say at least 
15. One time when I lived there, they beat us. Actually, now that I think about it, Corval or OSU beat Oregon at Oxford, I believe, once when since in the years I lived there. But they definitely haven't since I moved. And before that, I don't know. But yeah, it happened know. a couple of times when I got here early, but um, not that often. You're right. And but that, but that said, here's you know because we've talked about this many times, and you know obviously we got to get a little local love in here since we both have the <laughs> Oregon you know ties. But yes. you know with the crystal ball, and I know a lot of people disagree with me on this. Mm. I still think the guy can't coach his way out of a paper bag, and it's kind of <laughs> hard to trust them. That's why I say yeah, Corvallis, or you know, or or or, or pooping and Pullman. I mean, right, the Huskies are bigger chokers th- than anybody, so I never worry about yeah. them. And, you know, <laughs> I know Chip wants to get a win against his old program. Oh, I just shit. don't think he's going to ever have the horses in Westwood. No. Right, you know. I, the benefit we have, I feel, over those teams is we have horses those teams don't. Yeah. I mean, that goes um, back to what you were saying about the facilities. Yes. We have horses. Cristobal could recruit, which in my mind is the only reason to keep him around. I feel like eventually when you have by far the most talent, you will eventually win because um, some questionable coaches have won national titles when the talent have when the talent just seemed to overcome their coach. You'll never convince me Larry Croker knew a damn thing about (laughs) anything. You'll never convince me Gene Chizik knew what he was doing. (laughs) No, absolutely. Even Eddie O is um, as likable as a guy as he is. Right. uh, Seems, I, I mean, outside of that one year where Joe Burrow carried him, he has a kind of a questionable coaching record himself. You know, absolutely. You know, it's kind of interesting when we're, when we talk about, you know, the, the Pac-12 and just USC and their uh, weird fixation with this Clay Helton character. Yes. I mean, because I feel like it's it's really holding the conference back. Oregon's holding its end. But I feel like when you look at Washington and you look especially at USC, you know, just sort of like go with these mediocre guys and it's just – Hey, you're, you guys are kind of like holding the conference down. I mean, or, oh. Oregon can't carry it by itself. Oh yeah, I mean, I feel SC's SC's slump since Carroll has left is one thing that is that's kind of missed me in a lot of ways because I feel like with their location, with the access they have to um, high school players, I mean, outside of maybe tech, outside of Texas, I don't think there's any area which has as great an access to high school players as Southern California does. Yeah, probably Florida, but you know, I maybe, think, yeah, yeah. you can say Florida, definitely, actually. Yeah, you can see lot. Florida. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, but those three areas, yeah, I'd, I'd say you're probably right in terms of the true hotbeds of... And the fact that SC has... I don't think they've been in the national title conversation past, like, week six and in, like, at least ten years now, which is kind of crazy when you look at the dynasty that was built during the Pete Carroll era or mini dynasty, however you want to phrase it. I mean, sure, one, two no, national yeah, titles. They were, they, were, they were very solid. And I think the, you oh. know, the, the weird thing about them and, you know, because of the rep, as you just talked about in the, in the legacy um, is when it, they can't, but right. Somebody needs to like break out the checkbook, and that's you know. It, you look at Oregon that you were talking about, you know, right? That beautiful complex they have, the football building, yeah. you know, the, yes. the the 
all those SC hasn't really put the kind of investment in those facilities. They still put in the Coliseum. Obviously, it's next door. We get it. Yeah. Blah blah blah. But yeah. it's kind of hard without those kind of you know uh, what I want to say. You know, Taj Mahal style, you know, um, facilities to compete. I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, I mean, like I said, I mean, yeah, it's amazing to me they haven't decided to just put a bunch of money into their facilities the way Oregon has. The way Washington, I know, has put a big investment into their facilities. That's, I mean, that's another school. I mean, as an Oregon fan, I've, I've always felt that I've been living in an outlier the last 15 years in some ways. With, I mean, granted, we haven't cashed in to have that natty yet, but when you look at... I just look at demographic. I just look at location, history, and I don't feel like Oregon should sustainably be at the top of the conference year in and year out. Like they pretty much have been. I mean, I would be willing to say they've won the majority of the Pac-12 championships in the last ten years sure. or so. I mean, I don't have the number off the top of my head, well, but yeah. with USC and Washington, I just feel like those programs are more set up to have better sustained success in Oregon. <clears throat> but and when you look at the facilities and how, I mean, it's just night and day. I mean, these are state, I mean, these, right. They're the, they're the best facilities in the, you know, in the country, right. Or they, yes, can they are. And them. that makes a huge difference. Yeah. That, that's what makes a new huge difference. But I also go back to who Southern California versus Eugene. I know if you're an 18 year old kid, I mean, it's just something I've been able to get. And Mario found a way to, I mean, Mario's out recruiting Clay for a lot of Southern well, sure. California yeah, kids. But, you know, but the thing is that when you have Papa Phil as your benefactor, I mean, these kids aren't stupid. You know, they know they're going to have the fly gear, right? Um, you know you're going to be on TV. You're going to talk a few of your homies that go up there with you. Uh, yeah, and the NIL even gives us a more of an advantage. Absolutely, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, that, that as we talked about, you know, prior to that, right? That him making a deal with Thibodeau, right? It's just like the same thing, you know. There's like that deal that that, that uh, I forget who it was. There's like two with Miami, right? Where somebody can just walk in and write a, a check and say, "Hey, I've got everybody covered," or like in yeah. Michigan with the jerseys, right? Some yes. company came in there. So the idea of boosters being able to go over the table right now, oh, especially yeah. if you've got somebody high-powered like Phil who's got, you know, like, like PSG and it's oil buddy, I mean, endless, deep, deep, deep pockets. Oh, for sure, for sure. Right, you know. I mean, but, I mean, I'm just, I, I have a feeling one day USC will get their fill, and when that happens, that's going to be hard to compete with. You, know? you, you well, yeah, they better soon, and I, and I wonder about that, though. I mean, just, you know, how weird that town is when it comes. It is weird because as much of a football town as that is, they have seemed to have made a lot of improvements in their basketball program. Right. Like they definitely focused more on that. It feels than their football program. Like, cause they did build a new stadium for them to play in for. Absolutely. Uh, and I so think, who knows, you know? Yeah. And I think, right. The football, it, 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 it's kind of like this weird white elephant. Cause you've got the Coliseum and just that whole, I, you know, it's kind of the weird thing with, like, it's the opposite thing over in Westwood, right, as far as why they, I mean, I get that. You know, same thing with Cal, where 
hey, you know, we're we're two of the finest public you know universities yes. in the country, if not the world. We don't we don't have to have football to hang our hat on, you know. Yes. Whereas with SC, I just go, well, you're not really gonna get a new stadium, right? No, we no. saw how long it took. The Raiders never got one. And we saw the area. The, but I, I don't see this making a difference in a player. But that we okay, you and I have both lived down there. Uh-huh. The area around the Coliseum isn't the best let's just no put it that way <laughs> no it's not i mean there's so, definitely some renewal going on down that way but still right i just feel that not being able to to have a modern football stadium and it's like yes he's always going to have its appeal but is it going to have the appeal that we saw when they were growing up you know it's a who knows I mean, I just wonder if they got a big-name coach. Like, uh, I've texted you about this. about mm-hmm. Like, if they put money for a guy like Urban Meyer, I feel like he could turn that – he could turn USC into, like, basically what he did with Ohio State in the Big Ten, except in the Pac-12. I mean, that, I mean, I feel like if they got the big-time coach, which there really isn't a sure thing that's on the market right now, that's no. just waiting in the wing. So right now, I mean, maybe they feel it makes sense to stay with Clay Helton. I mean, I think they could do a lot better, but I, they're probably not seeing anyone waiting in the wings. Yeah, because, point. you know, right, because not only is that person have to be an elite coach, he's also going to have to be a huge fundraiser. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, you know I mean, be somebody that's capable of wearing multiple hats, because I do think that, you know, in terms of what their football team needs, to, what kind of footing it needs to be on. All right, so let, let, let's 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 take a quick break here. Let's change All this right. up and talk a little bit of basketball. We like blaze through that. It's like forty minutes oh. even. So you know. All right, so we'll take a cut here now. All righty, that was fun. We'll be back with Alec on the other side. Meanwhile, as I'm watching the Raiders and the Seahawks, the Raiders definitely having uh, their way with the Seahawks right now. 10-0, 5-0-2 left in the half. Okay, we'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Fox Trading in a Foxhole, our special episode where we delve into a couple of topics with friend of the show, Alec Ford. Anyway, we just spent about the better part of 40 minutes talking on college sports. Now we're going to switch it over to a little NBA as he is our show expert on what goes on on the hardwood. Anyhow, enjoy the conversation and we'll be back in a little bit. So let's talk a little NBA, and as we were talking about on take two, um, <laughs> your take on the 2021 playoffs. All right. So first thing I said is it was great seeing fans back in the stadium because um, we had dealt with like a year of games with empty stadiums, and there's just more of an energy. Now, in terms of the actual playoffs itself, I it was the weirdest playoffs I could remember in the sense that 
I don't remember so many te- different teams having injury issues in the playoffs. And we've uh, texted back and forth about the cause of that, which I think is pretty obvious mm-hmm. um, as to what it is. But if you look at just the if you look at just the West and what Phoenix um, got to go through to get to the finals, um, we ha- they had a we had them dead in the water until AD um, got hurt in Game Four of that series. Um, and then in the second round, they got to play Denver without Jamal Murray which was definitely – you had Jamal Murray get hurt. Um, they got – Kawhi wasn't playing during the conference finals for that for the Clippers. Um, and then even, like, you go to the East, you have Kyrie getting injured. It was just a weird year. I don't – I mean, I'm even sure I'm missing somebody when I'm going through oh, all sure. these I mean, teams so that I can't even people, think of. Right. I mean, Harden wasn't himself, right? I yeah, mean, Hard- Harden was basically walking on one leg. Uh Joel Embiid was basically walking on one you know, knee. one leg, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I think, you know, the injuries definitely had a lot to do with it, and we know that going back to play too soon, which I blame the Players Association for not pushing back more on it. I've been screaming that for months. But, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you as far as the injuries go. And, and it just made it a weird playoff. And having said that, um, from Milwaukee's point of view, I felt like Milwaukee went through as tough a road as um, anyone would have had to go through. I mean, they didn't really – they got a break with Ky- Kyrie being injured. But outside of that, I don't feel like they got as much breaks with injuries as Phoenix got in their route to the finals. So I thought it was justice that Milwaukee ended up winning the title. And kudos to Giannis. Man, those – he, he stepped up like crazy in the finals, especially the last four games after Milwaukee fell behind 2-0. Oh, sure. And, he, was, I mean, he was banged up coming into the final, and there was some question whether or not he'd even play. Oh, and I was going to go crazy if Phoenix had won a title with Giannis not playing, which I was thinking, because I was just thinking, has any team got to play four straight series without a – key player from the other team like literally without a key player from the other team like just totally sidelined and so oh yeah the fact that it looked like Giannis was going to be out half the year when he uh went down and against Atlanta and then he comes back again in the finals and puts on one of the best finals performances I've seen I mean no exaggeration on that so sure and And I don't know what to think about the Bucks of everything you just pointed out because I know some people are saying that, hey, you know, this is only the beginning for them. And I'm like, is it the beginning of, or, or is this going to be, you know, a one-hit wonder based on how tough the competition is? And you've got a great window, as you pointed out, with, you know, all the people that weren't there or weren't yeah. at 100%. I don't know. How do you think about their future prospects? I mean, I think they'll always be competitive in the future. Future, um, and the the thing is, is that what I'm thinking is Philly seems kind of a mess. They need to get that Simmons situation um, fixed. I mean, I don't know what the solution is, but Brooklyn's the team that if they're healthy, and man, KD looked great in the Olympics. I mean, I think in a normal situation, Milwaukee's going to have t- a tough time beating Brooklyn, 
So, I mean, I think they could I, – I think it's more likely that this is – that they're a one-hit wonder than they are a start of a dynasty. Let's just put it that way. Um, I mean, if years from now we're looking back and Giannis has four chips, you could play that clip right there and I'll definitely eat my words. But I just don't see it happening as much because um, I, don't, I think Phoenix was – for a team that made it to the finals out of the West, I think as much as that, I don't. I think in the future they'd have to play a tougher team than Phoenix in the finals too, um, if they got to that point. Plus, if Brooklyn's healthy, it's gonna be a it's gonna have to be a tough time for them to for them to get back to the finals. Um, but outside of Brooklyn, though, I don't know if you. I'm, maybe I'm not thinking clearly, but I don't see another team in the East that has a bet that's set up better in the future than they well, you are. Bring though, than you bring up an interesting point, right? I guess it was going to be my next question. Because, you know, that as we've been, you know, it's always the backdrop of, of this conversation or any conversation for that matter when we talk about the 2021 season is who wasn't there, which gave us a window into teams that we probably wouldn't have paid as much attention to. Among yeah. those, the Knicks, the Hawks, the Mavericks, I mean, there yeah. are some teams, I don't know if I want to go as far as saying they're contenders, but they gave reasons to pause because, you know, they got a lot more attention without, you know, LeBron's and, you know, the KDs and people on the big stage. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, Atlanta, I mean, was a team that impressed me. Um, I mean, I don't know if they locked up Nate. I hope they did. They did. But they did. They did. They did. They locked up Nate. Mm -hmm. Well, good, because he showed he's a hell of a coach this oh, year. Oh, absolutely. Um, but with Trey Young, I mean, Trey Young is a good young guy. He could be like a – he could – I feel like he could be a centerpiece around the championship team the same way Booker can. But I just don't know if um, just long-term, if a lot I, – I don't know if a lot of these teams are one-hit wonders or if because of how weird this season was. Or they're there to stay for a while. Like Atlanta's a team that it's hard to read. I mean, Trey ended up um, just going like lights out in the playoffs. I don't know if it's sustainable in a normal season that he's going to do the same thing, though. Um, even Phoenix, with even though Phoenix got to the finals, I mean, I kind of see them as more likely to be a one-hit wonder than the Bucks, to be honest with you. Because I feel like, like I just talked about with Phoenix, I just felt so many things had to go right with them uh, for them to get to that point. And they didn't cash in at the end of the day, despite that. They had no. Milwaukee down 2-0 and didn't cash in. And I think they're going to regret not cashing in when you look years down the road. Because I'm willing to say, unless they get crazy injury luck like they did this year and CP3's getting older, that I don't see them making it back to the finals in the near future. So... Okay, that brings me to a very interesting point that, that segues into, uh, at least for this question. So, okay, we, we talked about those who, who got some attention. But aside from the injuries, there was more to it than, you know, injuries with the mighty that, that, that didn't get it done. And that would be the Lakers, that would be the Clippers, and that would also mm -hmm. be Brooklyn. I mean, yes. right, there's, right, injuries are one thing, but there were other things wrong, at least from my perspective. How, what do you think? Yes. You're talking about those three teams. Yeah, those three teams, the mighty. Okay. Um, Brooklyn, okay, Brooklyn, they got top-heavy talent, like you know, mm -hmm. but those three guys are all head cases, so that could end up combusting on its own somehow. Um, 
Kyrie takes games off for no particular reason. I I, I mean that like sincerely. No. I say that too. No, I know. I know uh, exactly I've never seen a saying. player do that in my life. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a superstar player just decide to not play because of something going on in the world. I mean, it's insane to me a lot um, because most people generally still go to work no matter what's going on in the world that may upset them. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the Clippers definitely have um, chemistry issues. Um, like they, There seems to be something between George and Kawhi that just doesn't mesh well together right now. But same thing, top-heavy talent right there. Um, but, I mean, the one thing that's an interesting subplot is after Kawhi got hurt last year, hurt against Utah, I believe the series was 2-2 against Utah when Kawhi got hurt. That's correct. And it thought I thought the series was done and the Clippers were going to get killed, basically, from that point forward. But, I mean, the fact that they rallied to win that series without Kawhi impressed me a lot. Oh, sure. Um, Reggie Jackson. Utah was one of the healthy teams in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. actually. Like, they didn't have an injury issue. And so for the Clippers to win those last two games without Kawhi, and going back, that's another team that's going to hit themselves for not cashing in this year is Utah, I feel. But Kawhi, without – so when Kawhi got hurt, I think that – I think it brought out a lot of problems he may have in that locker room the fact that they were able to rally and they came close to beating Phoenix without him too. So sure. I mean, the, and the Lakers were a flawed team last year, but with them, I mean, their flaws were a lot of depth. They didn't seem to shoot the ball particularly well at times, but I also look at it like they were 25 and six, I believe before the injury started to uh, really cripple them. Like LeBron going out for like I believe LeBron missing like thirty games yeah, at one point in a row. Eight weeks. Yeah, it's basically almost eight weeks. AD was out of the lineup a lot, and at the end of the day, I feel like if those two stay healthy, I mean, which it was a lot to ask for though, when you consider how short their off season was. Um, when you consider, I believe they won the finals on October 15th, and they were playing exhibition games by December 10th or something like that. Sure, playing, in, playing so, in real games by Christmas Day. Yeah, they were playing real games by Christmas Day. So, I mean, I feel like it was a lot to ask for them. But, I mean, like you said, it, a lot of it is their own fault, too, because LeBron has a lot of power within the Players Association himself. So he probably himself could have done more to push for a later start date than he did. I mean, I feel like there were a lot of issues with the Lakers in terms of, like, just... I mean, everything seemed to work out for them in 2020. Um, they seemed to have the... They seemed to have um, a perfectly built roster for that year. Um, and in 2021, it just... They made a lot of moves that just seemed to not um, work out. Like, I don't think Schroeder worked out as well as we hoped he... as we, I thought he, I thought Schroeder was a great move at the time, to be completely honest. Yeah, I couldn't keep apart from become, at the end. And I didn't see that being a bust. I even thought Mark was a great move, but he ended up spending a lot of time just sitting on the bench yeah. doing nothing. So, like Montrez... Like Andre Drummond? <laughs> yeah, like Andre Drummond, too. God. I mean, Montrez, like, was a total bust. I mean, he was getting DNPs by playoff time. So I just think a lot of the moves they made to replace guys that 
let's just face it. I mean, um, like take someone like Danny Green as an example. Man, in the bubble, Laker fans were going crazy at him, but he ended up not being. They never got a better replacement for him, at least like a guy who played defense and at least until the bubble made was a good three-point shooter. I mean, something happened during the four months off that lost his shooting ability when we got back into the bubble, but that's a completely uh, that's a complete other story. No doubt. And it just seems like the depth, like Rondo, I don't think they replaced a guy like Rondo. He was, no, they didn't. He was very underrated in terms of how important he was to the championship team, and they just didn't have a guy that was able to come off the bench, kind of steady, steady things, could give LeBron a break from having to basically facilitate the offense. So, I mean, they kind so they rerouted after winning a title and the route didn't work. But we'll see what we'll see if the moves they made this year. And you know what? I don't agree and then one more comment I'll make is I don't agree as much with the fans that not signing McGee and Howard back um contributed to us not winning the title. But we also saw how important though that wrote that center rotation was to us. Oh, absolutely. Year. Absolutely. We I, didn't have an energy guy like like Dwight and Rondo coming off the bench were both energy guys for us in our title run. And we definitely missed those two. Oh, absolutely. And perfect segue. So let's take a quick pause. Okay. Perfect. Well, I do the editing. So anyway, okay. um, you know, so what we were just talking about, kind of wrapping up the analysis of the 2021 season, which it's a perfect segue into this free agency frenzy and the massive extensions for the stars. A lot of money being mm-hmm. bandied about, oh, yeah. which is kind of yeah. positioning us for the 2021-22 season. Let's start yeah. off with the, with the big extensions. Primarily, KD getting, what, I mean, four years, almost $200 oh, million. Steph yes. being the only player to ever have two $200 million contracts. <laughs> yes. uh, Luca just signed one today for, I believe, $205 million for like four years. So, I, on the one hand, let's before we get into the real heart of this, but let's talk about the big money guys. Not Nothing, nothing shocking there, but what do you think the impact's no. going to be? Um, I mean, the impact's going to be um, those teams will just – those. Uh, those players will be locked up for those teams for a long term. And all of those are good extensions, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't think there's a GM in the world that wouldn't have done the same exact thing. Um, in terms of revenue to the league, I mean, I don't know what type of impact it's really going to have. I mean, it could be setting up for, like, a possible TV into the future. Um And eventually, it's just going to lead to more big extensions. And it's also going to it lead to... Players just signing extensions early, what I noticed, because I think the way the new CBA is set up, you get more money to actually extend rather than waiting to the last year of your contract. Oh, sure. That's why Trey Young just had that. His was like so, five years, I think, $220 oh, million, so, so with that, I think, okay, I think one of the fascinating things about the NBA has been these years where you've had multiple superstars become free agents and that's driven new cycles itself like think about all those times lebron was a free agent or kd kd and kyrie two years ago and the impact might be is that you might get more off seasons like this year honestly where it's fairly boring the the 
the more high profile moves are like mid level players joining teams to possibly be the last um, piece Absolutely. of the puzzle. And you bring up a great point, which I'll, which will segue into something here in a second. But before I get to that. One of the things I do see about these extensions, I guess why I was asking the question would yes. be because I think not, I mean, I don't want to call it cap inflexibility, but because of, you know, these big numbers, the impact I definitely see is, you know, more ring chasing, right? You know, people who yeah. already made a few dollars and are willing, you mm -hmm. know, to pay because, you know, the segue into that. So, the Russ trade and the old folks film that they were building at Staples. What is your take on that? Oh man, you know we've I've thought long and hard about Russ's fit with the Lakers, but before I get to Russ, I just want to talk about the other move the Lakers made. And I think Palinka, that Rob Palinka, the GM, did a great job with his free agent signings. Um, he got he got um, Monk, Bazemore. Ellington, Ariza, Carmelo, and Dwight back for like 15 million combined, which that's I mean, a lot of that's ring chasing, like you said, but um, they're all solid. They're all players that fit on the team, though, I feel. They give you something, whether it's shooting, whether it's defense, whether it's both, whether it's energy off the bench. All those three agents are good moves for the Lakers. And I think it kind of, I, th I think they're better fits for the current team than maybe some of the guys we bought, brought in last year. The Russ move, though, I, I've i thought about this many times, and as you know, we both of us being a big Laker fans, we ho definitely hope this could work out. But I just don't see him and LeBron fitting well together on the court. Um, they both kind of need the ball to be at their best. Although I think LeBron plays a little bit better without the ball than Russ does. But I mean, the fact that Russ just doesn't have a good jump shot, I don't know how much that's going to hinder his ability to play effectively with LeBron. So I guess that's Vogel's job. <laughs> that's Vogel's job to figure something out. But right. I just don't see it being a really good fit. In the same way how Russ and Harden weren't really a good fit with each other in Houston that year. No, I as I've said to you on numerous occasions, the only way I see this working is having him lead the second unit and then also factoring in that, F, you know, LeBron being, you know, going to be 37 in December and, you know, and AD his on and off injuries that uh -huh. having someone like Russell around, we don't fall, we don't fall to the seventh seed. We have somebody who can actually get us through some of these games. And I think that's where yeah. if he can fulfill those two, those two aspects, I think it can it can work, but I'm with you. I think it can work too. I I agree. And if Russ is willing to accept the bench role, I was just talking about how great Rondo was off the bench for us um, in the in the year we won the title. Um, Russ would be like Rondo on steroids, basically. <laughs> oh right, <laughs> if he played the same role as that, you know. And last year with AD getting hurt, he, like he did, like you said. And LeBron, if last year when both LeBron and AD were out at the same time, I mean, I believe, I, I don't think we won more than two out of every 10 games we played no, when both of them were out. We basically fell from the first seed to the seventh seed in like a 30-game period, basically. Absolutely. So, so I think someone like Russ could keep that from happening, like you said. So I hope, the, I, I mean, I hope this works out. 
Okay, and for what about Mellow? Do, do we oh, help? Mellow, do we, I love Mellow. Do, I love the Mellow side. Do we help Mellow get rid of his his, his stigma for us? People never talk about, God, he's only been out of the second round maybe once or twice. Yes. Yes, he's been out of the second, I think once, and they lost to us in 09. Right. When he was, he, in, when Denver. He was in Denver. Yes, when he was in Denver. We beat them in six to go to the finals and won, in, won win against Orlando. But I like the mellow signing, and I like it better than I would have liked it, let's say, two or three years ago. Because it seemed like two or three years ago, he wasn't willing to come off the bench. He wasn't willing to um, not to play off the ball and not be ball dominant. I mean, you saw that that year in Oklahoma City when he, Russ, and PG, that team was picked to go to the finals and just couldn't. Um, I don't even think they finished higher than seventh in the West that year. And Mello was definitely not a uh, good contributor to that team. But seeing him in Portland, actually, the last two years, he's seemed to be more willing to accept a role that's not the best player on the team. And um, knowing how much he and LeBron are buddies, I think, helps a lot because the fact that he seems to be willing to go to a team and he seems to be willing to play that role of, you know what, I'll come off the bench, I'll stand here, I'll shoot an open three, I'll shoot threes. And, um, I mean, I don't think he'll ever play good defense, but I, mean, I think he'll at least make some effort on defense this year, you know. Oh, sure. So, and make no mistake about it, as we talked about, you know, they were able to get away with it in the bubble. But, you know, obviously the lack of shooting really sunk this team's fortunes, and they're going to have to shoot better in order to compete at, at the highest level. That's you know, that's the way this NBA is moving towards. And I'm not saying you have to be the Splash Brothers, but you've got to have some people knock down open shots. You know, and that was one of the keys for Phoenix, being able to yes. take advantage of everything else that you've pointed out. Um, let yeah. me ask you, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say Melo shot 40% from the threes last year. So I think that's the thing that makes me like the signing as much as anything. So let me ask you this. So there were some other interesting moves. What do you think about Zoe and Caruso going to Chicago? <laughs> um, in general, I think Chicago, uh, I thought those are great moves for one. Uh-huh. Um, because, I mean, they're both young. I mean, they're, I mean, Caruso, I mean, I don't know what his ceiling really is outside of like maybe a good bench player that hustles. But Zoe started to show some um, potential last year um, with New Orleans. I'm actually kind of surprised that the Pelicans didn't keep him around because he seemed to actually be developing better as a player. His shooting has seemed to, seemed to have gone better since he left us when he didn't really have much of a shot. And um, I also like the DeRozan move for the Bulls, too. Very um, big move. Absolutely forgot so, about tomorrow. I mean, when you look at how weak the East is outside of the top three, I mean, I could definitely see those moves propelling the Bulls to being, let's say, a four or five seed in the East, which I mean, well, gets sure, you yeah, knocked out in the, the second Knicks, round. Right. But, you know, I mean, the Knicks are showing some promise. But yeah, I think that, that when you talk about the. Now, I think there's like five or six teams that, you know, you need to keep an eye on as far as the East goes. And I think this move, I agree with you, puts Chicago in there as well. I think with the Knicks, the Hawks, the Bucks, the Celtics, you know, who had an off year. 
Just sort of like looking at the East. Eh, probably about, you know, maybe five. Well, don't sleep on Miami and the East. Oh, absolutely. Too, absolutely. I, was, I completely forgot. I forgot all we about Miami. Earlier, I completely forgot. Yeah. But, I mean, they they had injury issues last absolutely. year. I mean, same thing that we did. Right. They still were able to get to the sixth seed despite that, despite the fact Butler missed, I believe, a good chunk of the season. I don't know how many games he missed exactly they had other injury issues but i think them adding lowry is right and they just I got mean, victor oladipo as well animal oladipo yes i mean i think they're a team if there could be a surprise team next year okay. that could sneak their way out of the east it would be miami in my opinion right so that's funny because that was one of my questions is there a team that everyone is sleeping on for next year like i think miami is good i think of miami i think obviously golden state people are sleeping on you know, it's yes. obviously dependent on what Clay, Clay. is going to be like. But oh, Steph had a great year last oh, year. Oh, absolutely. If, if um, <laughs> I mean, um, heck, they had us dead in the water in that playoff game, and they just blew it basically. Um, I mean, I was going crazy during that game, but with Clay back, I, I could see Golden State being a top four team in the West with if if Clay could stay healthy the whole year, which. We don't know. I mean, that's the thing with the NBA nowadays is that injury. There's so much potential. I see more for injuries that you just never know how what injury is going to happen that completely derails any projection you might have. You know. So let me ask you this then. Also, there's a couple of other things that have been, that transpired in this free agency pay fest. So we're assuming that Kawhi and Jackson are going to be back with the Clippers, and that's publicity-wise. Yes. What do you think about the Suns giving CP3 three more years with making 39 at the end of that? I mean, I, I believe it was a move Phoenix had to do because they had no realistic way of, um, of, um, of, of replacing him if he left. Um, because of the way the salary cap is, obviously. I feel like they had to give him the money he gave them and had a great year for them last year, obviously. Got them to the finals. Um, I think it's a I think it's a deal that could potentially bite them in year one, to be honest, because um he's had injury issues in the past. I mean, now the last two years he's managed to stay healthy, but he gets hurt, and you're in a load of trouble, especially with that much money tied to him. Um, and I can see him getting hurt, like, to the point where it makes him ineffective the last couple years of his contract. Like, I guess maybe similar to his the way he was the final year he was in Houston, I guess, um, before they tr- made the Westbrook trade. Oh, sure. um, Even the way he kind of fell apart throughout these playoffs you know yeah he had some amazing games but as, as these playoffs starting with the series with us these nagging injuries with his shoulder his wrist you know because yeah, he know. a I high mean, volume think, contact guy yeah but i also think from phoenix's point they're looking at it they made the determination that they don't have a prayer of getting back to the finals winning a championship without him so they had, I feel, and I would have done the same thing if I was the GM of Phoenix. I mean, I felt like you had no choice looking at the landscape of what was out there to replace him, looking at the landscape of the West in general. I felt like you had to give him that contract, even if you know it could bite you two, three years down the road, or even one year down the road, to be frank. Hmm, that's interesting. 
All right, then. We're going to take a little bit of a break here, split things up. We'll continue with our conversation with Alec. Always a beautiful thing to have him on the, in the foxhole, talking college sports and some NBA hoops. By the way, we also are going to have the season finale of season two being released at the same time as this, so keep an eye out for that. If you want to be on the show or give us some feedback, ftinfx at gmail.com. Say hey, tell us if we're doing good, what we can do better, or if you want to come on the podcast, get in the foxhole, and tell us what you know. Anyway, we'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Fox Trotting in the Foxhole. Our conversation, our lengthy conversation with Alec Ford, friend of the show, continues. So, let me ask you this then. Um, who do you think is under the most pressure to win next season? Oh, wow. That's... Um... This is a weird... This is a weird answer. Okay. Um, I actually think... In a lot of ways, I don't know if I want to see the Lakers. I say LeBron is under a lot of pressure to win next year. Um, and I might say he's at the most because he's chasing a legacy right now. And every year that goes by that he doesn't win a title is one less chance. And he doesn't have much years left. Uh, father time wins at the end of the day. I guess, unless you're Tom Brady, I guess. But that's a... Another story. Right. He's an so, outlier, I think. He <laughs> has to be. Yeah. He has to be. But, I mean, you kind of saw it last year with LeBron. In fact, his three years of the late, after not having one major injury his first 16 years of his career, basically, the last two of the last three years, he's been sidelined with a major injury. And he kind of has things... He has a lot of good things set up for him next year, though. He got he has the rest he needs. Um, he has a fairly good collection of role players. I mean, I think Rob did a great job at surrounding. I mean, we could question the Westbrook trade, but I think Rob did a great job at getting giving him the type of role players that he's been successful with in the past. And we all know he's chasing the he's chasing Michael Jordan six rings and. Every year that goes by that he doesn't get a championship, it's one less year and one harder year because I think it's going to get harder for him to keep the pace that he's been at his whole career the older he gets, basically. True, true, So, true. So I just think from a time perspective, there's no other superstar player that's in as much of a time crunch as LeBron is in. Because I look at Brooklyn's team, I mean, he, they're all, I mean, I don't know, Durant's like in his early 30s, right? I believe. Yes. You know, and I don't, yes. and when I say, okay, so I don't see it so much on Durant, but I do see Kyrie and, and Harden, especially Harden, because yes. Harden coming up short so many times, and Kyrie as well, you know, st- yes. kind of wanting to say, hey, I can win without LeBron. 
yeah. that I wasn't, you know, LeBron's jockey, you know, when when Cleveland won. So I feel yes. obviously not as as much pressure as as LeBron is facing, but I do feel those guys are under considerable pressure. Yes, the only reason I may say less is because I feel like if as long as they don't self combust, mm-hmm. um, which, which let's face it, with those three they could self combust. We all know that. Absolutely. But as long as they don't self combust, I feel like they have a core that sh- they should have multiple cracks at it over the next five years. Right. I feel. And, it, and I would put Chris Paul right behind them, because even though, as we yes. were just talking about, the, but I just feel that the commitment, and now that Phoenix has gotten our attention with this whatever you want to call it run they've made, but it's put the spotlight on them, so I feel there's yes. like a lot of pressure on Chris Paul. Yes. Oh, yes, for sure. So, which just seg- segues perfectly into... So, talked about, you know, pressure being on the, somebody. What about this best player on the planet conversation that seems to always come around every time I turn uh-huh. the damn TV on in the morning? <laughs> you know, yeah. at, where, where are you at with this best player on the planet? Well, I mean, I, I don't know how much I want to let the playoffs um, influence me at this point. Um at this moment, um, okay, if I knew LeBron was good, was going to be 100% healthy, um, that's the, I, you know what? Two years ago, LeBron came up and had an MVP-type season that I don't think lots of people saw coming. And he clearly was the best player on the planet just two years ago. And it was the similar situation going into that year where – I think he dropped out of the top five players when ESPN did their rankings before the season started that year. Um, and he ended up being the best player on the planet that year. Now, he didn't win the MVP, but that's a, another conversation. Mm-hmm. Right now, just looking at LeBron's injury, knowing that there's more of a chance, I feel, that LeBron goes down, I would have to say right now, even though there's flaws in his game that he can't shoot, particularly well but after seeing the run he made i'm gonna give it to i'm gonna give it to Giannis with a slight edge over kd at this point just because um the way Giannis could dominate the paint almost in a in a similar way that Shaq did actually um back in the early 2000s like without much of a jump shot but just still the, clearly the best player on the planet that time. Giannis is a much better playmaker. Right. Here's Jack the thing: I have to too. say, though, I will, and not to give Skip Bayless any credit or anything, but I yes. will agree with Skip in that sense. That what are we talking? You know, two centimeters if Durant can get his yes. foot back, another <laughs> two centimeters. What kind of conversations are we having then? It's oh, clearly, for sure. The Nets win the title if. Two centimeters, I think, the next way to <laughs> Right. Here. You know, that's the crazy thing when I can think about. As great as, since I can't call him Giannis anymore, I have to call him Giannis. As great as Giannis' <laughs> run was, I <laughs> yeah, still like going, man, you know, KD was really that close. It was basically K- KD one on five with Kyrie at missing in action and Harden basically with a bum hamstring. Oh, I know. Oh, and I'll give KD credit. That that Buck series, even though they lost, I mean, full credit to KD, though. He, I mean, there's no way 
you could blame him at all. For, Did he have like 48 for or, or 47 or 48, like two or three times in that series? Yes. Oh, in game seven, I think he put up 48. Yeah, I think he had like three like times he like put up almost 50. I'm just like, going, you know, it was nonchalantly. I mean, I'm not taking oh, anything away from, you know, Giannis and what he did and, and that what a coming out party. That it was really cool when he bought the, you know, the 50 piece McNugget at uh, Chick fil A. Because he's just like, yeah, <laughs> baby, I just dropped a 50 piece on you. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, I know. I know. That's a, it's a hard conversation. It's close. And, Having said that, if I knew LeBron was going to be 100% healthy next year, I would still say he's the best player on the planet. I would agree but with that, too. There's just too much. I just think the fact that two of the last three years he's had a major injury makes it hard for me to say that right now, though. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think what those what those people bring, and not to mention, as we – Talked about Curry played out of his mind this year. I mean, you know, yeah. Curry was no joke. <laughs> yeah, oh no, not at all. Yeah, right. No. And you know, then there's that Luca character who's Oh, at- Luca's another one that well, I didn't even think about Luca, but you could put him in the debate too. Oh, also. absolutely. I mean, out of his mind. Oh, so- he carried he almost single handedly carried Dallas to that to a win in that Clippers series. Mm-hmm. Heck, Luca, I bet, I would even say of all the top teams, I can't imagine any team just being like, just, I don't think there's a player worth more wins to his team than Luca is to Dallas, at least the way the rosters are presently constructed. Because even when Giannis went out, we saw Milwaukee behind Middleton be able to win those last two games in the Atlanta series. Whereas, like, I don't think I don't think Dallas wins more than twenty games without Luca. Yeah, no, it's it, it's they're, they're they're a hot mess. In fact, you know, especially given some of the moves that have happened in the front office and, and Cuban's ego being on overtime. The, oh, the, wow, the, for sure. Without saving grace that he has. Okay, so we'll get you out of here with one right. with, with one more. So, okay. okay, we talked about COVID in the last series. We haven't talked uh-huh. about it yet as far as this goes. And not only fans, players, now that we have great data as far as how many of these athletes like us today, we just found out that Lamar, who's had it twice, is like mm-hmm. still on the fence about getting a vaccination. Yes. What do yes. you think about COVID-19 in this upcoming season as far as the NBA is concerned? Um. Like I said, um, like I kind of said earlier, it's going to be an issue. Um, I believe we're still going to have games canceled. Um, I believe we'll have players randomly test positive all the time um, because we're starting to see more breakthrough cases. And as far as I'm understanding, a lot of these breakthrough cases are from people that are just getting tested for whatever reason they need to get tested for and have no symptoms at all and just find out that they got COVID and that's going to put them out for 10 days. Now, the one thing I do not know, and I should know this, maybe you could help me out. Mm -hmm. What are the protocols for a vaccinated player in the NBA? Like, do they still have to go through daily testing? Um, Do you have any idea? Because that would make a big difference in terms of how COVID played out this year. Well, the thing is, right, because I think most of the teams – and uh, most of the universities, they've uh, they, they they've gone the eighty five fifteen route basically. If yes. you get to eighty five percent, you don't have to be tested every day, right? 
Okay. So you don't have to be. You don't tested. have to be tested every day. You don't okay. have to wear face coverings in indoor situations. You can have yes. you know meetings and things like that. And I think yes. that because the NBA was pretty quiet, you know, unlike the NFL, which is pretty, which is pretty being transparent, and some of these colleges are, are as well. We don't really uh-huh. know. We never knew. We still don't even know when it comes to the, to, to, to the Lakers. You know, there was oh. talk that they were all, but maybe they weren't. You know, the NBA's been, you know, very uh, CIA as far as, you know, who Who's, isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, if the teams get vaccinated, it it shouldn't be an issue if they're not going, if they're not undergoing daily. Now, with the with the Delta variant, the NBA might have to rethink their protocols, especially if breakthrough cases start happening more often. We still don't know 100% sure at how much a fully vaccinated person could, in theory, infect somebody else. So, I mean, there's a lot of question marks. But if teams get to the 85-15, it's not going to affect them on the daily. Now, one way it could affect them, and I hate to say this, but – I could see there being capacity limits again. I don't think there's going to be empty stadiums, completely empty stadiums like we saw at the beginning of the season last year, but there could be capacity limits, and depending on what state you play in, it could affect what type of home court advantage you get compared to other teams. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Like maybe the Mavericks play in a – sold out playing playing in a sold out arena while the Lakers could only have 25%, which isn't a scenario that I think is too implausible. If you kind of pay attention to how oh, no. things are run in those no, states, uh, you no, know, especially LA County really being hardcore as far as you know, the, the mass mandates they want to impose for indoor events. Yeah. Right. So no, that's not out of the realm of possibility. That's kind of why. So, and that could affect. And I think that could. Some people say could that maybe some players might say that creates an unfair advantage itself because you got one place where the crowd makes a huge difference and one place. Let's just face it. Twenty five percent capacity. The fans aren't really going to make that big of a difference, in my opinion. No. No. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Right. You. You know. You saw that. I mean. Right, just the Olympics, you know, right? You see, you know, all that, right? I mean, it wasn't obviously less than 25%, but all those people that snuck in for the Japan-USA <laughs> final, right? The yeah. baseball. And, yeah. you know, I get that same sense. I mean, I don't see that coming, but kind of. Like, when I think about, yeah. you know, Oregon, for example, you know, yeah. that Matt Knight Arena. I'm supposed to go see fish there in about two months. And I'm, like, thinking, if this is spreading crazy... If we're indoors in an arena, how is that even going to be possible? Right? Oh, I'm thinking the same thing. Like, I'm thinking, okay, okay, in June, beginning of June, I never even thought we'd be having this conversation. Me neither. Because everything seemed to be normal. It seemed, I mean, yes, our vaccine rate wasn't what it should have been, but at the same time, it seemed that it was contained to a degree that this wouldn't even be a question. So, in some ways, for me, it's kind of disappointing that we're even still talking about these possibilities because I'm also thinking, man, it's great. The Raiders finally are able to have fans and have full seats in their stadium. But is that really going to happen in an indoor stadium? Who knows, you know? Yeah, right. You know, the, the fact that uh, the capacity of, 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 you know, available hospital beds 
and certain places is getting to some pretty scary levels, you have oh, to yeah. wonder. You know, one of the, we were just uh, one of our friends that used to b- balance at the, uh, the horse head, but now he's got another gig, but he still hangs out there. You know, he's in okay. the hospital right now, right, oh, fighting wow. to stay off of a, a stay off of a ventilator. And wow, and he oh, got wow, vaccinated wow. at the same time I did. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. That's... So okay, I mean. Well, I'm reading about ICU beds being Uh at such low levels. You know, I'm reading that Austin, Texas has like six available in the whole city of 2.3 million. And when that's happening, I just think it's going to be tough for these sports teams to justify having for now. Like I said, if all these owners are willing to go to strict vaccine passports, then it's not going to make it much. Yeah, but basically, yeah, I'll wait till you get the thing no, set I got up it. again. We're all set up. We're on. Oh, we're all set up? Okay, good, good, good. Well, so like I said, if all the teams in the NBA, not just the NBA, any sport, had 85% of their players vaccinated and all the owners were willing to go to strict vaccine passports, whatever's going on in the country, I feel like they could have, we could, we could have sports not only be fairly normal, but look fairly normal in terms of TV, but I just have my doubt that's going to happen. I mean, there's really too many unanswered questions to, um, to really give a full analysis on what kind of impact COVID will have. Obviously I'm hoping it has no impact at all, but I just don't see that happening. No, it's, at I this don't point. see it either. Right. You know, the, the, the science of the numbers and as, as, as I've been saying to a lot of people, the insight we're getting into people who have decided not to get vaccinated and are pretty adamant about it as far as, you know, be, the, being in locker rooms and basically saying, you know, and by, you know, who, I forget who it was, who basically said, was it DeAndre, Hop- I think it was Hopkins who said. It was Hopkins. It was Hopkins or Cole Beasley. Yeah, it was Hopkins. Oh, yeah. Cole Beasley is a whole other can of worms. Hopkins basically saying, I don't know whether it's worth it for me to play in this league if you're going to make me get take that damn vaccine, you know? Yeah. Incredible insight. Pretty much Riverboat Ron having to beg the Washington football team, like, hey, come on, dude. I mean, I've, I've got comorbidities here. Let's be responsible. Yeah. And yes. you know, a lot of people after there was like six or seven guys on that team they had it. Oh, your boy Kirk, your old uh, boy Kirk. Oh sure. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> I'd wrap myself in plexiglass before taking the shot, right? And I'm like looking at Lamar on my TV right now. Another guy who's had it twice and is still on the fence about it. So um, I mean, they just I mean a lot of them think they're invisible, but it's gonna it's going to affect their the season in a way. And like I said, I thought next year it back at June, I thought all, not just NBA, all sports. I thought it was going to be fairly, in fact, the way we were going at June, it looked like by September, they'd be able to justify stopping daily testing and protocols and all this stuff, but it ain't going that direction right now. So no, it is it, sports is we're seeing in, ba- in fact, baseball is actually the best example. We're seeing guys get it. Like the Yankees just had a big outbreak sure, and had Garrett to have Cole and Montgomery both, yeah. And, and I think some of those guys are actually fully vaccinated. Right, are, Rizzo is fully vaccinated. I think Rizzo just came down with it. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's insane that we're dealing with it. But I think we're going to be dealing with this all next for 
most of next year, I mean, until the Delta gets under control, you know, at this point. Right. So and that's and that's not, and that's obviously dependent on, you know, do we have a gamma or or a lambda? Yeah, lambda. we could have a gamma next. We could have, and I know we're saying this as jokes, but they're not jokes. No. I mean, uh, like I said, I'll let your audience in on a secret. I mean, I've been through this myself and it's right. not a joke no nope. you know? i've been through it as well and i definitely can tell, tell you it's not a joke you know so <laughs> so i mean like yes they get these names some people's laugh at it but it's not a joke and i'm worried the gamma could break through the vaccines i mean and that's a whole different story not just with sports but with everything else oh, you sure know? I, sure i mean and the, and the fact that you know we know we were talking about earlier um with the like I said, with you know, fifty-five fifth graders, the fact of it spreading crazily among the among the young, that's just a, it's such a nightmare scenario as far as what that can imply, right? And, and oh, that, if it's spreading among the young, it's gonna be hard, no matter what governors of what states have for their restrictions. I think it's gonna be hard for a owner in good conscience to fill their stadium. If this thing puts young kids in the hospital, That's, especially especially young kids, oh, you I, know, I, I, you're right. And I feel, I'm I'm with you ten thousand percent as far as that goes, and I think that's why this fall is going to be really interesting to see with with stadiums. Because you know, obviously, as much as us junkies like it, it's still you know kind of you want to be able to p- take your kids and all that stuff to the ball game, you know, right to Otson. I mean, the one thing I will say is baseball stadiums are still pretty full right now. So I, I don't know if that's going to stop in like a week or two or if that's something that's going to go on. If so, I mean, that's that's something we could look at right oh, now. Absolutely. Like maybe outdoors they're willing to take more chances. But, I mean, I just sent you the link about that jazz festival in oh, New yeah. Orleans. Oh, jazz being, fest. That's been the talk of all the hippies for you. Big yeah, I mean, the Stones that. were going to play there this yep, year. And absolutely. That, they pulled the plug on that. Absolutely. So I have a feeling more of that's coming. For I mean, sure. I hope you get to see fish in October, but uh, yeah, having I, my doubts about that No, right, right now. Right. They're, they're on summer tour right now, and I'm sort of – and, you know, somebody got mad about this because the guy just said, basically, if you go to a show, assume when you come back you already have it, that you were at a super spreader event. Vaccines or not, assume that you're coming back from this event with COVID, right? And oh, yeah, and, say, and it's just if you're vaccinated or not, yeah. whether you feel you do, you know, that's Absolutely. just the, so. Okay, well, perfect. That's probably a good way to, like, wrap this conversation oh, up yeah, before we sure. go too far. So, anyway, we'll probably talk again, I would imagine, um, once we get around the beginning of the NBA season, start of the NBA oh, season. Sure. And deep in the college football to like update oh, yeah. this conversation. I'm looking forward oh, for to sure, that. Oh, for sure, for sure. Right. Always enjoy this. For Always sure. enjoy it as well. And uh, we look forward to having you again. Tell we oh, talk. Oh, no problem. And we'll pick it up as soon as I uh, hit the other. Okay. Alrighty. Always a pleasure to have Alec in the foxhole. Covered a lot of ground there. We'll definitely have him back as we get later in the fall. In the meantime, as we just talked about on this podcast, be safe, mask up, indoor mandates everywhere, Delta spreading like crazy. 
on the clear of the cream. Getting drunk on the HGH, you know, you know the rap. Anyway, one of two podcasts coming in succession to wrap up season two. It's been fun. We're going to continue the ride the train. In the meanwhile, be safe, be careful, and we'll talk to you shortly.